Maybe they should have stuck to wind power. Jamie? Yeah? Let's go watch Solar Babies. everybody welcome to another episode of good times great movies we're an 80s movie podcast every other week we watch a different movie from the 80s and then we talk about it i'm one of your two hosts doug mccambridge and with me as always the glowing orb chasing very thirsty jamie lorello so did you think that they were gonna be born from the sun i was a little disappointed with that yeah, obviously these were not babies, so I was very confused at first. There's not a single damn baby in this movie. Unless there's like a baby inside the glowing purple ball, maybe? Which leads me to my first question for you. Is Patrick Swayze in this movie? Is he inside the Bodhi ball? Could it be that this is the spirit of Bodhi from Point Break? I feel like he's transcended. His physical form, he finally reached what he was seeking in Point Break, right? He's kept chasing that next thrill. And and I I think he just, he found it. He was like, I don't need to do this. I can become pure energy in a spherical shape. That's what we get in Solar Babies. Again, it came out before Point Break. But I do think Point Break is the prequel for this movie. That's right. Prequel. (laughs) This was... Uh, yeah, so when in Point Break, when the giant Australian wave takes out Patrick Swayze, then his spirit just transcended to the universe and became this glowing purple ball and went back in time or no, went into the future. I don't know, went light years into the future whenever this movie is set. Was this like they said the year is 41 or something? I'm not sure what's happening. But uh, yeah, then we have a. Uh, We'll just call it Swayze Ball. The can we just call it Swayze Ball? Swayze Ball. Are we talking about this movie? It's kind of like the Emperor from Star Wars. You know, he he got killed in Return of the Jedi, and then his spirit went forward into a much worse movie. This is a much worse movie than Point Break. I don't think that's a really <laughs> a challenging statement to make. Sacrilege, sacrilege! How sir. dare you insult Solar Baby's integrity? I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to say that. I don't know if anyone has actually watched this movie besides the two of us. I don't even think the cast has gone back and watched this. If I was in this, I don't I don't know. Maybe if I was the bird, you know, I'd go back and see how I did. I flew pretty good in those those takes. The bird that gets uh swung around and whomped at one point as the like evil side villain says, he's like, I whomped his bird and he swings the I guess it was an owl, he swings it around and like throws it on the ground. Like that's that guy was so evil. He he looked like an evil Zach Morris. That's what I kept thinking of him. <laughs> the whole movie It's like, oh, it's evil Zach Morris again. Was it even an owl? Because they keep showing this bird that looks very much like a hawk, and they keep calling it an owl. I don't know what it was. Yeah, maybe it was owl in some scenes and hawk in other scenes, depending on what they needed it to do. I mean, obviously this movie had a pretty big budget and going into the background of it, Mel Brooks produced this. 
he sank tons of money into this, especially when the production went awry. And I think he ended up losing like $9 million on this movie when it tanked. And (laughs) he basically just like had to sell it off at at a loss. But I, I was really surprised to find that out that Mel Brooks was behind this in some way. That's really strange. And and it's just strange that anybody would name their movie Solar Babies to begin with. (laughs) Well, maybe he read the script and he was like, this is hilarious. Right. Like, Solar Babies, that's that's got to be funny, right? Like, kids in labor camps in the future and and living in the desert. Oh, but we'll throw in some roller skating and that'll make it all good, right? Right. And then it's not like his movie label just made a bunch of embarrassing films like Brooks Films, his production company. They made The Elephant Man, like David Lynch's The Elephant right. Man from 1980. Right. And Space Balls. That's crazy. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Elephant Man and Solar Babies. Quite a dichotomy there. So obviously this has this movie has a lot of illusions or owes a lot to the road warrior and Doug, if you remember on our previous episode where we talked about the road warrior, we talked about babies a lot on that episode too. And babies in the future taking over our show. Uh, You know, we were going to prime some babies to one day take over when we retire. Right. So, do you think we found them? Maybe the solar babies could be it. They One day they'll have a podcast in this dystopian future and they'll need to look back and talk about 80s movies. But, you know, then there'll be like a paradox where they'll be in the future talking about 80s movies and then discover solar babies and they'll talk about themselves. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Out. But uh, yeah, solar babies. Maybe they're the, the future of good times. Great movies. Jamie, I think you just put some kind of butterfly effect into play because I think just you saying that has probably changed the future to where that will happen. Yep. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Hey, well, were we going to talk about the plot of this movie? Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's talk about this movie, Solar Babies, from 1986. You know, I in 1986, I was a I was a baby, actually. So I really I really kind of connected with this movie in that way and Maybe that uh, made me a little disappointed when there weren't more babies in this movie. You know, there was no opportunity for for little Jamie to be cast as a solar baby in this and put on some little roller skates, maybe, you know, little little baby action zooming around the desert. For sure. And I was a five year old when this was released. So I guess I was almost Lucas Haas's age who plays the child, Daniel, in this film. But really, he kind of just plays a pair of sentient eyeballs. Because I've never seen a kid (laughs) with eyeballs this big. He's just in awestruck wonder the whole movie. It's just like giant eyeballs as he stares at the Swayze ball. Maybe, yeah, maybe it was like the ball was rubbing off on him, right? Because he was all eyeballs and the ball was all ball. They really connected. It's almost uncanny valley territory. Like, I'm looking at a picture of him now, and he's in his 40s, and he looks normal, right? But I swear, like, his eyeballs are so big in this movie, it's like watching the Polar Express, Jamie. <laughs> it, it it was really off-putting. Where I, was, I got a little freaked out every time he was on screen. They tried to make him be cute. He'd be like, I've always never been deaf since Bodhi came. Which, why did they make his character deaf? 
if he was only going to be deaf for three seconds. And as soon as he's like, it magically healed me, remember? I was deaf before the movie started because we didn't really spend any time with me being deaf. But then Bodhi makes it magically rain, right? Which they've never experienced rain. This solar baby's world is a world of no water. There's no water anywhere. It's the anti-water world. That's yeah. right. And Bodhi makes it rain indoors in the room they're in. Now, again, these people, these teenagers, have never experienced rain. So, first of all, they should have been terrified, right? Like, what the hell is this? What's happening? Oh, God. Like, they probably should have all died of shock. Well, no, because the girl the girl was just reading from the, the random book she got from somewhere about thunderstorms and and rain clouds and the the greenery or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, where did, where did she get that book? How do they understand any of these concepts? I'm not sure. And yeah, the one time you experience like a plethora of water, instead of maybe trying to grab a bucket, you know, drink it, uh, you know, preserve it in some way. You know, what are the teenagers going to do in this movie? They're going to splash. They're going to kick the water at each other because it's fun. And then they don't utilize this Bodai ball for, you know, and its miraculous power for anything else in the rest of the movie. But like it heals a deaf kid and then it it rains inside a locker place. And then that's all they use this ball for. Right. Oh, wait, no. And they use it for purple, purple, like uh, floaty hands uh, circle making where they all gather in a circle and the ball gives them like purple energy to to like almost touch each other's hands. But then the purple energy goes between all of them to make a, a fun circle <laughs> to make like an 80s, uh, an 80s style energy circle. I don't know, like well, not sure what was happening there or what the purpose of the Bodai ball really was in the end. I'm not sure why I forgot about them holding hands in a circle with the purple glowing things, but that's miracle enough, right? Like, you've got it making it rain indoors. You've got it causing them to dance in a circle with huge smiles on their faces while they have glowing purple hands. I don't see why you really needed anything else there. But there is one other thing they use the ball for, you know, lest we forget. They are roller skaters. Not rollerbladers. I, you know, I was going into this uh, having recently watched, you know, great '90s movie Airborne, which uh, I believe there's a podcast that we we love uh, out there called Film Shake, the '90s movies podcast. They covered Airborne, and they actually they talked about the character in that movie being the prequel to Point Break, the Bodie character, because there's a Bodie there, right? And so then you get Point Break with Bodhi and then you've got future Bodhi here as a glowing ball. But these roller skaters, not not rollerbladers, because you know, I guess what are what rollerbladers that the inline skate theme or trend came came later, right? They all they had here was the the skates, which are obviously not as cool, right? I mean, skates versus blades, you're going with the blades, am I right, Doug? That's right. More brutal, of course. More brutal. Yeah, it's just a, got a cooler edge to it. But uh, what I was trying to say was these roller skating kids, they're also in this dystopian future. I don't know if they're forced to or if they just really enjoy playing a hockey-like rugby-style uh, game on roller skates with the these kind of hockey lacrosse-style hey, sticks. Hey, it's called skateball, all right? It's a serious sport. 
in this movie. It's a club skate. Is that what they call it? Is that the official name? It's skate ball. Skate. Skate. Oh, oh, skate ball. Okay. Very inventive (laughs) phrasing there for this future skate ball. But at one point in the middle of the night, they go out with the bow dye ball and they use this mystical, magical, like godlike ball. And what do they use it for? But they use it as their ball for their skate game. (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. Pause. Cat. The cat jumped out of one of the coats. <laughs> out of the coats? Yeah, my wife's coats. The cat was hiding there. It was just hiding in the coat? Yes. That's awesome. That's crazy. But anyway, yes, what did you think about them using the mystical ball as their skate ball? <laughs> Well, the first thing that I was thinking was, why didn't Skateball take off after this? Because you don't have to have the glowing ball. You can just use whatever normal ball they had. The thing about the Skateball game with Bodhi is, I like how it just turned into breakdancing. Like, you can't not breakdance in a movie called Solar Babies with a glowing magical alien ball called Bodhi. And man, <laughs> the breakdancing isn't the most technical I've ever seen, but it is the most glowing ball-y I've ever seen, for sure. Well, let me bring this up, too. You're saying Bodhi, and one of the characters, the only black character in this movie and in this future, calls it Bodhi a couple of times, but keeps getting corrected by the big-eared, big-eyed kid, the Lucas Haas kid, who's like, no, it's Bodhi. And this character, uh, Rabbit, uh, who's the only black guy in the cast and in this future, while they're playing with the ball and uh, start breakdancing. He starts beatboxing at one point, and then the movie decides to put tribal music behind him as he's dancing with the ball and he's beatboxing. What did you think of this? I thought that that was amazing, and I also liked how <laughs> every time Lucas Haas corrects him and says, no, it's Bodai, not Bodhi, he gives him this look like, you better shut the fuck up, Lucas Haas, I'm going to kill you every time. <laughs> right. Every time he corrects him, he's like, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because obviously he's more in tune with the Swayze inside this ball than the the weird looking kid. Definitely. He knows what's going on, man. Lucas Haas, he doesn't. Which, again, okay, Lucas Haas is in a lot of stuff. And Jason Patrick, who's the star of this movie, who's just a beautiful, gorgeous man in this movie. It's um, it's really <laughs> kind of shocking. And this is his first movie before Lost Boys, yeah. which he did right. the year after this. And he looks beautiful in that, too. And Jamie Gertz, she's in both movies. Somehow they were love interest in both Somehow. of these movies back to back. I don't understand why they weren't in every movie together after this. They're just the sweetest kids, man. I don't even remember your question now. I'm just thinking about <laughs> I'm just thinking about Jason Patrick's hair and that face he makes, you know, where he's like, yeah. And then he kind of looks to the side, you know, and then the wind kind of blows a little bit. Hair kind of moves around. I love how he stops at one point. And he says, what am I doing talking to a ball? Like he like he just makes a little self-referential moment like i don't know if he's breaking character there or if that was really in the script <laughs> he's just like you know he's really like what the hell am i doing on this movie i'm talking to a glowing ball like i'm much better than this i could be getting bit by a vampire <laughs> well it's kind of the sad thing about it is the guy really like he looks like a movie star he has pretty good charisma and you think like this guy's gonna be big and then you know his biggest shot after this 
after Lost Boys, really, with Speed 2, which, you know, the first Speed is amazing, right? I mean, the, the right. 90s, are, they're a special decade for cinema. You think, okay, if they're going to make a sequel to this, there's going to be a lot of care put into the plot. This is going to be thrilling. This is really going to keep my career going strong. I'm finally going to cash in on all that potential I have. And then, you know, it turns out a cruise ship does not travel as fast as a bus does. And there's not like, you know, a shopping cart full of cans that looks like it has a baby in it anywhere in the ocean. (laughs) So you just can't really duplicate that first movie. You didn't really hear much from him after that. He really hasn't done a lot. It's kind of a shame. I didn't even remember he was in Speed 2. I pretty much blocked that movie out of my mind. But soon as I saw him in this, I was like, oh, Lost Boys. And it wasn't until later that I put it together that Jamie Gertz was star from Lost Boys 2. And I was like, oh, my God, they're both in this movie, bef- like right before the Lost Boys. And that's just crazy to me. And, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know why he wasn't in more stuff in the 80s because he definitely is charismatic. He's a gorgeous looking guy. He does have some strange looking chest hair, which I noticed in this movie. I, did you notice this? He has like a perfect, just like a straight line down the middle of his chest of chest hair, but nothing like on the sides. I wasn't sure if that was just like a futuristic touch for this dystopia, or maybe part of that was shaved for his uh, his outfit when he's playing skateball. It helps, you know, helps him get more lubricated or something but uh yeah weird chest hair but yeah jason patrick pretty good looking guy not gonna lie i feel like that was a weird manscaping choice like maybe his agent said like jason jason you gotta do this to your body hair bud this is gonna make the audience love you this will make you a star for decades and maybe this is what derailed it like as soon as he started People saw that and they thought, man, I really like this guy. You know, he's a really solid actor and a really charismatic presence. But this body hair, it just freaks me out. I don't want to see him in anything else. Nothing else. I'm done with him. You don't you don't think the fact that he was in a movie called Solar Babies had anything to do with it? Because, you know, let's let's be honest. Not not a great movie, but. I agree. He he is fun in it. He 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 does a good job as the lead. But uh, should we get into the plot? Or are we are we just derailed? Where should we go back to set this up or what? This movie does have a plot. That is true. Oh, it has the, a plot. The, let's let's talk about that. All right. So the the narrator of the movie at the beginning introduces us to this world where, like we said, uh, water is super scarce. It's mostly just a desert world. And he's talking about, I believe it's the Charles Durning character who's who plays the warden of the camp where all the kids are held. He's, I believe he's the narrator of the movie, if I'm right. But he, he talks about how children are brought here for labor, and it pains me to do what I do. And then at one point, he says in the narration, he talks about like the legend of Bodai and how the ball came to earth and like helped restore the earth and stuff. I'm paraphrasing. I'm guessing that that's actually what he says, but I know for sure at some point he says about the legend, is this legend true? Who knows? And that's the end of the narration. He's like, "Uh, is this, is it true? Uh, I don't know. Let me tell you a story. Who knows if it's true or not? Who cares? This is just a movie. I kind of found that throughout most of this movie, it seemed like that was the attitude. 
and not to derail the plot, but did you see that the director, Alan Johnson, was constantly fighting with the stars of the movie? Again, these stars are all teenagers because nothing right. that they were doing seemed to make sense. And apparently whenever the studio went to look at dailies after a few months of the shooting, they were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this really doesn't make sense. These kids are right. And I don't know if they ever really salvaged that. They said things got on track after that, but I don't know. I mean, you told me that beginning, you know, that opening narration kind of tries to tell you what's happening. But I think that makes more sense than almost anything that happens after that. Yeah, I mean, to begin with fighting about this movie, you're going to call it Solar Babies. At some In some markets, it looked like they actually called it different things. So you have solar warriors or solar fighters or some other titles that i've seen or it was released under why on earth would you name your movie to begin with and call it solar babies and i was going into this movie with that question obviously someone had recommended it to us but i love how in the actual movie with charles durning and we have to talk about the richard jordan character who basically plays a nazi covered in floor mats his name is Stricter Grock, and uh, he's Richard Gordon. He played Duncan Idaho in Lynch's Dune earlier in the 80s. And after that flopped, I guess he got stuck in this with all these teenagers. You know what he reminded me of in this movie? He looks like, oh, I guess, as if he could ape something from the 90s because maybe the 90s aped him because he looks like Street Fighters M. Bison. He totally has that same vibe. Yes. <laughs> from from Street Fighter. Roger Ebert actually is the one who said he looks like he's covered in floor mats, which I agree. He's just got this uh, this gray Nazi M. Bison look to him, and he looks like he's having a lot of fun. Like, he's just enjoying himself for despite being in this ridiculous movie. But uh, to go back to what I was talking about, he asked Charles Dorning, the, the warden of this prison camp for these children, he's like... Oh, Solar Babies, that's their uh, their skateball team name, right? And he's like, why do they call themselves Solar Babies? It has no menace to it. <laughs> I love how this movie references how terrible its own name is right there. And I love how he insults the Solar Babies by saying that they are left-brained. Like, that's the worst thing you can be that's in this worst. future. Also, do you think by this guy's Nazi uniform, we were supposed to just assume immediately he was the bad guy without any dialogue coming out of his mouth because I did. And it, it turns out that is what he was. That's definitely what this movie is doing. I mean, it's signaling to you from the beginning. He's standing on a hill with glasses, like sunglasses on at night, you know, a la the eighties. And, uh, he's wearing the Nazi uniform and the scorpions are the villainous, other teen gang other skateball team that the solar babies are fighting against right because if you're not called solar babies i feel like every bad guy like teen gang in the 80s was called the scorpions am i right (laughs) and so he sees i guess this is like his team that he's sponsored and he's helped train and the solar babies are just kicking their ass so he decides to call in the e-cops which, you know, if you want to make something sound futuristic, you just stick the letter E in front of it. I'm not sure if they ever explain what the E stands for here. I don't know if it's electronic cops because they're not 
androids or anything. They're just guys in like really bad rubber suits and they run down the hill and attack the solar babies and they all have to disperse into the caves where they snuck into this like abandoned skateball rink or something outside of their perimeter. Uh, and then that's when we have the, the Lucas Haas kid finding the glowing ball like in the in the cavernous uh, cave dwellings of where they ran off to. And uh, I was going to ask you earlier, too, did you have any idea in those first three seconds that this kid was deaf? The one time that they really highlight that he is deaf is the moment that he is no longer deaf because right. you know, his, his headphones on his head which apparently were like his hearing aid, even though they're like giant, like boss headphones. Right. I just thought he had headphones on. Like, I didn't think he was deaf or anything. Right. But yeah, you're right. The only time they really signal that he's deaf is when they're like, oh, you can hear us? So like, wait, this kid was supposed to be deaf? Like, I did not know that. Yeah, and then they get knocked off his head and like a sequence out of the Temple of Doom. Like, there's a minecart and he accidentally hits this lever when he's sneaking through a cave. And then it, the minecart kind of chases after him and he dives out of the way. And then his headphones get crashed. And then he finds a secret pool of water. And then Bodhi is in the secret pool of water. And we already talked about Bodhi, except... uh that's not how you say his name. I feel like we should call him Bodhi, like in the spirit, in the true spirit of Swayze. I mean, Rabbit was right. Like, I don't believe this Lucas Haas kid. Like, he's saying that he's got the true connection, but I don't know. Because, you know, not only do you have Bodhi in this movie, you also have James LaGrosse, who played Roach in Point Break, just to further emphasize the Point Break connection. So... I think it's it's got to be Bodhi. Don't you feel like he just keeps being counseled and led by him through time like their spirits are linked together? I feel like Point Break really is the central story of humanity and everything starts and ends with Point Break, including Solar Babies. Now, that may just be because I don't really feel like talking about Solar Babies. I really <laughs> want to talk about Point Break instead. Right. But I think that that's viable for real and also you just said james lagros is in this movie again the cast of this is kind of nuts for a movie called solar babies because you've also got as kind of the big tough guy solar baby peter deloise who i guess a lot of people might think of dom deloise you know the big chef but yeah. peter deloise he kind of played like the tough kind of quiet nice guy in a lot of things later on including this i say later on but i guess solar baby sort of always exists but you know he's in 21 jump street he was very famously for huge nerds in the early 90s in sequest dsv where he played two different parts so great cast here all finding themselves in a movie called solar babies I, that's how i'm gonna start pronouncing it solar babies i it's more fun to say it that way solar babies yeah i feel like the the louise character was he plays tug right and he's basically just this quiet tough guy i don't think he has a line in the movie until maybe like 30 minutes in he's just kind of like hanging out in the background for the most part he's like hey it's a bird hey it's that a bird flying Spe speaking of the bird we definitely need to talk about Darstar, played by Adrian Pazdar, and he I referred to him at first as the creepy hawk guy. And I watched this with my wife at first. Well, my wife, my wife, I should say, wait, um, I mean, uh, I'm Jamie, so I don't, uh, my husband, uh, watched this with my husband. 
we were both confused. Was this a girl or a guy at first? Wasn't sure. And then, yeah, realized it's Adrian Pastar just with some really crazy hair. Like everybody in this movie basically has a side pony that's been turned into a dreadlock because it's like the worst look. Uh, this hawk guy goes and meets his people, the Chikani. You know, he's a Chikani, but basically Adrian Pastar at first, you know, we're like, is he supposed to be Native American? Like, obviously, it's just a white dude who who's playing with hawks and, you know, he's kind of got some Native American looking makeup, maybe. And then later, you know, he goes to the Chicani camp and there's a whole like group of actual Native American looking cast in the background. But of course, the only cast member who gets a speaking role in the Chicani is another white dude who's just like got the worst hair and, and makeup and outfit on. I don't know. And he's always, always seems to be banging some chick. I don't know. But anyway, creepy hawk guy steals their ball and he runs away. That's, I guess, a, the plot point we should get to. I guess so. And, you know, I have to tell you, I watched this movie twice. And hawk slash owl guy that Adrian Pazar plays... <laughs> Hawk slash owl guy. Yeah. The first time that I watched it, I didn't really even notice him in the beginning. I just noticed him later and I was like, why this why is this guy around in the first place? It wasn't until I watched it the second time that I realized he's always lurking with his bird. Always on the periphery until the bird gets murdered. Which was right. really tragic the more I think about it. I think the bird was one of the more engaging characters in the movie because there was some mystery there. What kind of bird is it? They keep telling me that it's an owl, but it doesn't look like an owl. Still hung up on that. Well, yeah, and he's he's treating it like a hawk, too, because he's got like the falconer's glove on at some points and it lands on his arm. And at one point, evil Zach Morris comes over and like, I don't know what hawk guys do. And he's got like some stuff written in the sand and he I guess he's like calling his bird over or something and evil Zach Morris like he's basically this mini villain who just looks like a complete you know 80s preppy asshole uh, comes he's always just coming over and like busting up on uh the hawk guy and he's also the leader of the scorpions you know who's the nemesis of the solar babies but uh, I like at one point he just like kicks the sand around, messes up Hawkeye's stuff, and he just like tells him to get out. And then, you know, he's just got the whole crowd laughing around him because he's just basically been a douche and told Hawkeye to piss off. And everybody loves him for that. And he says, sundown for the solar babies, which is actually a pretty deep metaphor. I was kind of surprised. That he sundown said that. for solar babies. Well. <laughs> I like how I murdered you with that. I also like that at one point. Well, I, I don't like that he sexually harasses Jamie Gertz oh, that and tries rough. to sexually assault her. But I did like how she says to him, get out, you creature of filth. Right. <laughs> that was the best line of the movie. Oh. Such like an 80s throwaway insult, right? In this futuristic dystopia. Get out, you creature, filth. He, she does, doesn't she knee him in the nuts, too? So She hits him in the nuts with a shovel handle, actually. After saying that witch's incantation against him, nails him in the nuts with a shovel handle. Evil Zach Morris definitely deserved it. Which I thought I recognized this guy from other 80s movies, but he wasn't really in anything. He's not a really a known actor. 
don't he has no Wikipedia name. entry, so essentially he does not exist. So Darstar runs away with this magical ball that he realizes the solar babies have. I like how they don't even give you a scene of the solar babies realizing that he's run away with the ball. It's just all the guards are looking for him. And then we have, I'm just going to call him Michael and Star, Jason Patrick and Jamie Kurtz. <laughs> Michael and Star are getting a little romantic in the bunk and they're talking about how Daniel is missing. They basically treat uh, Lucas Haas's character, Daniel, like a little brother. And uh, they're like, he, he's missing. He went after uh dar star because he has bodai but we didn't even like we never saw a scene of daniel running away or them finding that out it's just like all of a sudden thrown into the movie and so then you know that they basically get together and they have to uh they're arguing about are they gonna go after daniel and star is all like yeah we might be able to find our parents out there who knows where we came from and they seem to be arguing but then they take a vote and then the vote is unanimous that they're going <laughs> to like break out of the prison camp and you know chase after Daniels. I'm like, why did they need to take a vote? It's because Jamie Gertz's hair is triple feathered in this scene. Triple feathered. Oh, we can talk about some Jamie Gertz hair later on, too. <laughs> oh, her hair gets pretty wild at some point. But doesn't it seem really easy to run away from this prison camp the mainstream you mean because we didn't mention it's called mainstream like that's how hard they tried to entice teenagers into thinking a movie called solar babies is cool it's like we got to get away from the mainstream escape (laughs) from the mainstream the mainstream's always trying to keep you down yeah it was really easy and how are we gonna escape from the mainstream prison camp we're gonna roller skate through the desert is that practical Because have you ever tried to even run through sand? It's really difficult. So I feel like skating through sand is going to be even worse. Like Jason Patrick's calves. Maybe he was recovering from that. And that's why he couldn't do too many more movies after this. His calves were probably the size of tree trunks and he couldn't find pants that fit. (laughs) So he's got these giant calves and that weird body hair. I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> Maybe that's why they had to stick him in jorts in the in most of the movies. Like in these tiny Daisy Duke jean shorts. Maybe it's because his calves got so huge because he's skating through the desert the whole movie. Hey, I'm not complaining. Ah, yeah, me either. Well, they end up uh, running away from the e-pigs, right? So the, the e-cops are, are after them. Darstar ends up at the Chicani camp. Like we said, he's the the white dude pretending to be Native American, and then he talks to the other white dude pretending to be Native American, while there are a bunch of natives in the background just kind of showed up for the for the extra money. This is where the E police show up in their oh they they also have E vans, and then I love how one of the E cops is like torch everything, and they just set the whole place on fire. The evil Zach Morris shows up and he shoots the owl out of the air. Darstar like somehow gets away, but uh, Zach is like, I got him. I whomped his owl. And then he spins the owl around and throws him, which is so sad. But like, why? I don't know. It's so over the top and ridiculous. I had to laugh. And then, you know, I, poor I Darstar laughed. is sad. Don't feel yeah, bad. I mean, I, I laughed. <laughs> I left to I mean, the point of having to poise the movie. Poise, <laughs> poise pause the movie. And poise so. the movie. 
the movie is poised. <laughs> I will laugh now at him swinging the bird around. It's like, what? It's so ridiculous. He was really proud that he killed he that was, yes. hog owl. I got his bird. I got him. I whomped his owl. I love how he said whomped. He whomped it all right. What does the owl drink, by the way? I think this movie also forgets that humans aren't the only things that need water on Earth. There's a spider at another point, some other animals. What are they drinking? Are there other animals? Because all I saw was the owl hawk and then the dogs with the flashlights on their heads. <laughs> and I'm thinking also, like you, where what are they doing to keep these dogs alive? Where did the, they get these, like purebred great danes or whatever kind of dogs they are well that leads to maybe a major plot point that they're not really clear on so at first i thought okay there's no more water right there's something about eco warriors which i'm not sure if they were supposed to be the villains of the past who destroyed the earth not really sure and the movie doesn't seem to be either i thought they were the current day like revolutionaries fighting the the nazi guy and and his e-cops Okay, sure, that's what they are. (laughs) Sure, sure. We'll just make this plot up as we go. Like, that might not be right at all, but that's what we're going to say is happening. But at first I thought, like, okay, there's no water. But then I thought, wait, is the protectorate sucking all the water out of the atmosphere and that's why it can never rain? Because they're literally pulling the H2O out of the air before it can rain down and then just hawking it and rationing it out to everyone else because they definitely use water as like reward and punishment with all the kids where you get a daily ration unless you're bad in case you go play skateball out in an arena (laughs) outside the camp then you don't get your water ration so is that what's going on is like it's not that the water is gone is that they just control the water Like, they control the Earth? That's right, because I didn't catch this at first. Watching the movie, I'm not sure if this is actually in a scene with Jason Jason Patrick and Charles Durning, but I definitely went back and watched the trailer where Charles Durning is explaining the world to Jason Patrick in the trailer, and he's like, they covered up all the water, even the oceans, and they, they took it away so they could control us. None of the water can evaporate to create rain. They control all the water or something like that. Wait, they said that in the trailer to the film? They did. I don't know if they actually say that in the movie. But there's <laughs> Wouldn't that definitely... be important information to include? <laughs> right. Or do right. they just assume everyone's seen the trailer? Oh, they yeah. already know what's going everyone's on Everyone saw the trailer. <laughs> You know what's going on. That's like the trailer for The Sixth Sense. There's this guy who died, and there's this kid who can see ghosts, and he talks to the kid. He doesn't know he's <laughs> dead. That is no big deal. Go see this movie. No. But then you don't you don't right. get the end when you go see The Sixth Sense. It just ends <laughs> with him helping Halle Joel Osment, and then it's like, oh, that was nice. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I saw the trailer. <laughs> but yeah, they're definitely controlling the water and rationing it out to... Punish and reward, yeah, because, uh, you know, later, I guess we can talk about this, they go to Tire Town right after this. This is after, uh, oh, well, they bury the owl. The, there's some weird uh, British-sounding bounty hunters. Uh, they torture the Chicani leader with hallucinogenic ants in this, like, fear machine that they totally rip off, apparently, from Dune. Or they rip off a scene from Dune where the evil Zach Morris guy, he, uh, the the Nazi leader, Richard Jordan, sticks his hand in the machine and he sees his flesh get eaten away, which 
looks pretty sweet to be honest but i i think i read that was like directly ripped from dune yeah so what did you think about the fear machine and the the hallucinogenic ants and the scene they stole from dune apparently the main thing i was thinking was wasn't this a kids movie like 30 seconds ago (laughs) (laughs) how graphic was that scene with the ants basically eating the guy alive on the table this thing rots a guy's hand off. It's so graphic and gruesome. And the rest of the movie is like an episode of Sesame Street. Not quite as good, but it's <laughs> that was actually pretty shocking to me. I was thinking about that more than what is this ripping off, to be honest with you. Uh, it's kind of shocking for a kid's movie. It was all hallucinogenic. It's okay. It's just happening in the mind. It's not really happening. You know, there aren't, aren't really ants eating somebody. It's okay. Because uh, they're fake ants. See, fake and that ants. is a good point. <laughs> Every time it seems like something really brutal is happening in the movie, it kind of gets cleaned up a little bit afterward, except for when a robot smashes the villain of the movie to death at the end. A terrifying, terrifying, scary robot basically rips him to shreds and beats <laughs> him to death. He's bleeding well, everywhere. You're right. Right here with the hallucinogenic like fear machine that's just totally creepy out of a different movie. We then go to Tire Town, which, you know, a.k.a. Barter Town, they basically ripped off from uh, Beyond Thunderdome, which, you know, this whole movie is basically just a ripoff of Thunderdome. Like, it's like if you made the a movie about just the kids from Road Warriors Thunderdome, and that's it. And I don't know why you'd ever want to make that movie, but this is this movie. They go to <laughs> they go to Tire Town and they immediately meet some hookers. <laughs> They meet like some, you know, it's just like bondage and S&M, obviously, because, you know, that's what the future is, is just people in the desert wearing S&M. We, we learned that long ago from Road Warrior, but Jason Patrick is immediately like hit on by one of the hookers. And uh, yeah, this is a totally different movie all of a sudden. Yeah, that was the weird thing with this movie is the tone. Again, like, I guess you shouldn't expect too much from a movie that again is called solar babies and has the plot that this movie has but the tone really goes from like sweet 80s kid movie where i was thinking like i'm getting some flashbacks to things i would watch when i was a kid that were movies that you actually would watch and not solar babies which i'm pretty sure wasn't even a real movie in the 80s and this (laughs) is all like some giant stunt by some modern production company because i don't understand how this really existed right but at other points it really does feel like some kind of weird kinky uh i don't know snuff film like it's going (laughs) in that direction you know at the same time you say you don't believe how this could be made back in the 80s but at the same time it also could have only been made in the 80s because we have a roller skating desert future with a glowing purple ball but also mixed with like S&M hookers <laughs> so I feel like this is only possible to make in the 80s because it's like if you combined E.T. and Road Warrior <laughs> you would have this movie yeah and I guess there's kind of a precedent for like alien things coming and just helping people for no reason like this there's definitely like a batteries not included vibe yeah, here if yeah. that took place in an apocalyptic future with people in S&M clothing for sure well you mentioned Tara's hair or Jamie Gertz as we sh- you know we should just keep referring to her as her actual name you've mentioned her hair earlier so they they go to tire town they see how i guess people are just burning 
literally burning rubber. They are throwing tires like into a vat to uh, produce something so they can get why not? water. <laughs> yeah, why not just burn some rubber? Uh, I guess they're melting the rubber to produce other things, but either way, you get water if you do that. And they discover Darstar here. He apparently has like his own pretty sweet van where he's holding Bodai. And they go in there and find him, and you know, you know, they're discussing like what they're gonna do now. But Tara runs off after Darstar, and did you notice how her hair flipped up and got like really crazy, like something about Mary haired, like for five minutes that they never fixed in the scene? Did I write that exact same note in my notebook? Yes. How did she suddenly get something about Mary Hare? Which, again, <laughs> with all the kinky stuff that happened right before that, maybe there's a scene that got cut. Yeah. I mean, she does seem to have a, a romance brewing with Darstar all of a sudden. Because, like, wasn't she kissing on Jason Patrick at one point? But I'm pretty sure she is, like mad at them for some reason i don't even remember but she it's like she joins darstar's side he's like the creepy quiet guy right and he's he's got the the dead owl maybe she feels bad for him but i know at one point you know the e police have invade again right and they're all like scrambling to get away and she gets left behind at some point she yells out darstar like help me please like she like he's her go-to guy now so <laughs> wasn't sure like what to make of that either that confused me about Darstar again like wait was he always here the whole time was he a solar baby and he wasn't it made it clear on second viewing that he was I say it so I must be talking about Bodhi maybe clarifying the plot of the movie for me and that's the transcendent magic but he's always just around as like this loner that's slightly off to the side but then he he talks at this moment in the movie, and he just has, like, an L.A. accent. Like, he just came back from the beach, <laughs> right. and, like, his surfboard broke, and he's kind of bummed out about it. Oh, dude, my owl totally got whomped. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly how he sounds. That is exactly what he sounds like. That was perfect. So, yeah, what is happening in this movie? She gets left behind, screaming Darstar's name. But Darstar and Bodai are captured... And then we we cut to Nazi guy and scientist lady who's the one of the characters from Superman, right? She's like one of the villains. She's here playing this uh, kind of sexy, not really sexy, but she's got some sexual. She's horny. She's horny. She's definitely yeah, she's very. She's very definitely horny, horny for the Nazi guy. There's a there's a lot of sexual innuendo going on between them stricter and and her you know more of this kind of weird tone thrown into this kid's movie yeah and sometime around this point someone says the line say hello to sparky which i didn't think was great but also i didn't put what it was in reference to in my notes so i'm just gonna assume that she said it to someone about a robot in a sexual fashion so after that we have bounty hunters and they have like these weird british accents they've captured the solar babies out in the desert and they have them like all chained up in a in a row which again is just like kind of comical but kind of weird and dark for this movie they're they're like driving them before them and they're singing i stink therefore i am but then all of a sudden tara is now like appears out of the desert as one of these sand people uh it's like the fremen from dune again like more dune references she pops up 
and saves them and like sends the bounty hunters off, you know, chained together on, on their own off into the desert. And she leads them back to, I guess the secret base that the, um, I guess these are the eco warriors. This is like also like she's discovered her dad because they found a mural earlier in the film that with this guy that looked like her, that had like the same symbol that she has tattooed on her hand mysteriously. I don't know. But anyway, it's like she's been gone literally like less than 24 hours. And she's like, hey, guys, this is where I live. <laughs> and it's and it's not like, hey, I found my dad or like, hey, look, look at this place I found. It's just like, hey, this is where I live now, guys. Like as if she hasn't seen them in a year. But she literally saw them like the day before. And she's now become uh, like a totally different person and has like a totally different identity. <laughs> And the best part is the last time we saw her, it looked like she got blown up. And then one of the, the bad guys, the bad S and M guys like grabs her by the mouth. And it's like, all of a sudden she's like, Hey guys, this is where I've actually been for no apparent reason. How I got here isn't important. The fact that I've only been here for at the most five minutes, but like have fully changed my look, have a totally new outfit. My hair is only single feathered now instead of triple feathered. That's not a big deal. Oh, and my dad's name is Green Tree, and he looks like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all wearing white robes. The guy looks like a wannabe Jesus. I mean, maybe she's joined a cult, am I right? <laughs> like, she's like, this is where I live now. You should all join me. Like, uh, Tara, I'm sorry, but I think you've joined a sand cult. We need to get you out of here. <laughs> Does she ever reunite with them, by the way? Because all of our friends get to chill out here. And again, you know, there's water. And apparently it comes from a melting glacier, which somehow gives them enough water to just kick water all the time. Because <laughs> they see it and they're not like, oh, I'm extremely thirsty. The human body has to consume a certain amount of water every day or it'll die. But even though I haven't seen water in weeks, I'll just kick and step in this water instead of drinking it. Um, I don't remember <laughs> what my point was. Oh, yeah. So th they hang out there for a while, but then they just decide, ah, let's go save Bodhi. Let's get right. out of here. Right. Forget this. Like, did, did this kind of throw you for a loop, too? Because, I mean, yeah, it's your friend. It's this mystical force, I guess. But this ball, despite it having the name Bodhi and being the embodiment of Patrick Swayze, doesn't really have a personality. It's not like they kidnapped your friend E.T. and you have to go save him. It's just a glowing purple ball. You know, so their their whole quest to save this ball is not that engaging, to be honest. Like, ah, uh, you know, yeah, you found paradise, you got water now. I'd say you're good, but, I mean, these are teenagers and they need their skateball, right? Maybe they're just like, oh, we lost our ball. It's, it's basically like futuristic Sandlot. They have to like jump over the fence and get their ball back from, you know, evil James, uh, James Earl Jones. I feel like really the problem is without Bodie, you can't break dance. And these kids, I think, got addicted to the break dance and they clearly care more about break dancing than drinking water to survive. Oh. So bring back Bodie, bring back the break dancing, and they can dance in a circle holding hands while their hands glow with clearly hand animated pink light. They never explain that that purple energy circle thing, but I think you just hit on it right there because why else would they, you know, risk life and limb to go after this purple ball if not for the drug aspect? 
right? Because I mean, we all know that dancing and break dancing come from you know tripping on drugs. So it, that must be what Bodai really does to them. You know, they they touch it. It it feels good. It's basically like they're drunk now, and they need to get it back from you know the evil Nazi people. Yeah, how is Bodai the hero here? Because the kids find Utopia in Paradise, which was achieved without Bodhi. You just got to find a melting glacier in the middle of the desert that's somehow slowly melting. You don't need Bodhi. So I think really his influence, maybe the, the narrator, maybe he got some of that sweet Bodhi action. He's addicted too. <laughs> this is all a bunch of crap. So that makes me think maybe the Swayze theory is actually false. Or I don't know, maybe not. You know, he robbed banks before to fuel his desires. Maybe here now he just gets children addicted to him. And then that that ensures his survival. It doesn't matter. Because, you know, despite the Swayze charisma, we know that Bodhi really isn't a great guy. I mean, he does end up killing people and robbing banks and point break. So we can't assume that his spirit would go on to to live a perfectly pure life. So yeah, I think he is just this addictive force, just like he brings in Johnny Utah on the bad side. He's got these solar babies doing a lot of harm, actually. I mean, say what you want about the Nazi people controlling the world, but everywhere these solar babies go, they basically wreak havoc. You know, they blow up Tire Town, they uh, they go in and just steal Tara away from her long lost father. You know she joins them on this this quest to get this addictive drug ball back, and then they just kind of single handedly go into the Aqua Bunker like secret headquarters of these uh, Nazi leaders, and they just waltz right in. You know escape the flashlight headed dogs kill some guards without like seemingly a care. They're just kind of like electrocute some guards or throw some guards down a, a manhole to be eaten by the dogs, assumedly. And then they just bust up in the headquarters and like basically murder everybody and blow this place up and also blow up the dam that apparently has been holding the world's reserve of water like without a care in the world. So I don't I don't know how we should really see these solar babies as the heroes here. I mean, they don't seem to be very concerned with the limited natural resources that they're just kind of kicking around and throwing to the wind. Well, you know, there's a scene early in the film that we didn't really talk about where everyone has their recreation time, which in this world, in their little protectorate, cave that they live in there's a roller rink there's like a fully <laughs> discoed out roller rink and while the kids in are the all future <laughs> that's right while the kids are all roller skating around there's all these subliminal messages like you want to hunt and kill hunting and killing gives oh. you pleasure right oh and obviously that's affecting all the scorpions directly because they really do want to hunt and kill like right now. And they're all like, what's with these left brain softy solar babies? But in truth, it's the solar babies who are the real threat to everyone around them, right? They've like internalized these subliminal messages the most deeply because at the end of the movie, they're like long gang 
wreaking havoc. They're not like, hey, you see that one guy in front of me right now? I'm going to punch him in the face and torment him. No, they want a long game, get everyone around them killed or maimed, including poor Bodhi, because it's their fault Bodhi even gets captured and stuck in this weird laser device where, for some reason, the bad guys are burning him. Right, they're going to cook And he's it. screaming. He's right. screaming. Did you, did you watch it with the subtitles? Yes, it's, cry. It says Bodhi crying. Yeah. Bodhi screaming. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah. It was terrifying. I was scared now, and I'm 40, so I can't imagine watching this as a kid. That was some great acting by Swayze, I have to say. Like, he doesn't get any lines, but yeah, the the crying and the, the baby whimpering. I mean, maybe that's where the babies come from, too. Uh, did you notice how they call the other name for Bodai is the Sphere of Longinus? Which... They keep throwing around like a lot of uh, religious references in this movie, too, because, you know, I, I forgot this, but apparently the spear that uh, struck Jesus when he was on the cross is sometimes referred to as the spear of Longinus. But they just took that and called it a purple glowing mystical ball, the sphere of Longinus. Like, how do you make that jump? I'm not sure how you write this kind of stuff. I kind of felt like I was watching a really badly animated episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> yes, <right>? yes. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. So when they're at the camp with Tara and the Sand people, they're trying to leave to go uh, save Bodai. And she stops them for a minute. She's like, guys, this is a really stupid idea. You know why? Because you need a map. Of the villainous aqueduct headquarters, which I have right here, which do they ever use that map? I'm not sure. Maybe they do because they can like perfectly infiltrate this headquarters and just wipe it out with seemingly no effort at all. But where did they get this map? Where did Green Tree and his sand people get this map? And like, why are they holding on to it? What are they going to do with it? Obviously, they don't have any plans to like take over maybe they do maybe they're the eco warriors do the eco warriors exist what is happening in this movie and what are the dogs wearing <laughs> flashlights what? on their heads but they've got a, they've got snm gear on too it's not just flashlights <laughs> they're a product of tire town that's right they're snm dachshunds for sure maybe that's why they're melting all the rubber in tire town so the nazis can build more flashlight headed snm dogs <laughs> Where are they building all this rubbery SNM gear from? It's the melted tires. That's you just solved this entire film. That's why That's tires why they're out exist. The rubber so they can How are we going to make more gear? ball gags? We got to melt some more tires. How am I supposed to wear any rubber clamps if you don't melt any more tires? You get no water. He puts the lotion on its skin. Or else you watch Solar Babies again. <laughs> so the evil scientist lady introduces us to this robot that's going to help drill through Bodai. Yeah, for some reason they take that that route and they're going to use like a, a really heavy duty drill bit and some green lasers to get through this you know mystical god ball. And then they're like, when the drill bit breaks they're like impossible <laughs> like oh yeah my drill it broke on this <laughs> mysterious alien ball like it it for sure should have worked on this thing i have no idea what the science is behind but isn't this like the clunkiest looking robot and she also says they have programmed the robot to enjoy what it does 
Like, why would you waste your time in a future with limited resources programming a robot to enjoy drilling through a ball? Are you insulting Terminax honor? Terminax. (laughs) Terminax was my favorite character in the field. The owl and the robot. Terminac is the squealiest asshole. Like, when you piss off Terminac, the noises that he makes. You thought Bodai crying was weird and kind of make you made you feel weird emotions. Wait till you hear Terminac squealing when you attack him. He's a jerk. I love this robot, man. I love that he just loves to, loves to inflict pain on people to where when the Nazi guy falls on on you know into his grip he's like well you know i i enjoy killing and maiming i'll kill and maim you in this pg film i don't care i'll make you bleed everywhere i'll rip your arms out get ready for this kids this is after you know the kids like i said they don't ever seem to have any trouble doing anything in this movie like just like they broke out of their prison camp they bust into this evil base and basically just kill everybody and maim a bunch of guards then Bodai sets the horny, evil British Angelica Houston wannabe on fire. <laughs> and then the robot is supposed to be super awesome and deadly. But they knock out his eyes with one of their hockey sticks like immediately. They're just like, oh, no, this robot's after us. Oh, hit him with the stick. And then, you know, his kind of dangly looking eyes already sticking out of his head, just get knocked out. Uh, the Igor Nazi dude grabs the little boy in like a really kind of creepy pedophile moment. And he's like, is this your ball? <laughs> He grabs the Lucas Hoskin. <laughs> but then, yeah, like you said, he gets crunched by the rogue robot claw, which is just, yeah, just awesome. Really, for me, the saddest moments in this movie were whenever Hawk Owl dies, which was really tragic. But when Terminac dies at the end, it kind of felt like insult to injury because everything gets blown up there. So Terminac would have been blown up, but he has to individually just get shot by one of the bad guys to save Nazi guy who's already dead. So it was pointless. Like let Terminac revel in the pain he's causing. And then you can just show the building blowing up and I can just assume like, Oh damn, they got Terminac. No, they got to rub your face. in it. (laughs) You really love Terminac in this. I did. I really, I went back and rewatched all the scenes. I will remember them forever. I just wanted to watch him again. I love Terminac. He's kind of cute. He's like the Jason Patrick of robots. (laughs) Maybe Jason Patrick and him could have had some sort of romance if Tara does end up choosing Darstar in the end. Yeah, you know, if Jamie Gertz got in the way. Before, it was like he could have been a vampire and lived forever with Kiefer Sutherland. But nope, Jamie Gertz had to ruin it. And what happens here? You know, he could have learned Terminax ways. Nope, Jamie Gertz came and ruined it again, I guess for the first time. Just to set the precedent. (laughs) Well, Bodai leads the way out. As they once again just blow up another place, they all escape with ease to the top of the mountain where a giant dam explodes. Again, just being wasteful with all the water in this movie. But they're like, oh, the water's now free. And Bodai floats off to the sky. He's left some uh, some of the magic purple voodoo inside them. So, <laughs> But um, question for you, evil Zach Morris. We see him in the base. And he's trying to help out the Nazi guy, or Richard Jordan's uh, stricter, the Grok character. But what happens to evil Zach Morris? It looks like he evacuates the control room, but then they never show another scene of him, and then the place just explodes. You know, if Terminac didn't make it, evil Zach Morris probably didn't make it. But again, I'll take an individual scene of evil Zach Morris being 
murdered. You know, I don't like his character. You know, he said it, it's sundown for the solar babies, right? So I don't like him. But Terminac, he doesn't use his words. He uses his actions. And what does he get? Killed on screen while evil Zach Morris gets to die ambiguously. He's definitely dead, but I don't like that. I would like to switch the two of their deaths around. Would have made a better movie, right? Right. Well, did you ever at any point feel like they were maybe setting up evil Zach Morris to become a good guy? Maybe join the Solar Babies and turn on the Nazi? Because after Nazi dude sticks his hand in the fear machine and like lets him see his flesh eaten away, and he's obviously freaked out by the hallucinogenic ants, I thought right there we're going to have a turning point. Like He doesn't enjoy this. He's in over his head. Maybe at some point... He's going to turn against the e-police and, and join the solar babies. But no, that, that never happens. He just maybe dies in the explosion. Or maybe they, they leave it ambiguous to set up solar babies too, where he becomes the leader of the, the, the new uh, protectorate, the remnant. I like the chess spot there that somebody somewhere thought, you know what? Solar babies is going to be such a big hit. We're going to get a sequel. We're going to make 20 of these things. It's going to be like Police Academy. Right. Maybe Mel Brooks was thinking that, you know, this was his Police Academy, his sci-fi futuristic Police Academy. I don't need Steve Gutenberg. I got Jason Patrick. All they need is some guy who can do sound effects, which who's to say, you know, Bodai wasn't going to be that. We already know he can cry very convincingly and in a disturbing fashion. Maybe he can make like a machine gun noise and a car engine noise, too. <laughs> If you just had a few more movies. That could have been Terminac. They could have given him that bit. Oh, <laughs> don't do that to me, Jamie. Oh, all right, Doug. Well, the end of the movie, they blow up the dam. They're all swimming in the water. Again, not preserving anything. These darn delinquent youth, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, man. And like I said, this is all just a bad prequel about the kids from Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> But we do get a sweet uh, Smokey Robinson track. Apparently, he does the theme for Solar Babies, which just blew my mind, called Love Will Set You Free. And apparently, the song is a, is about Jesus. It's, it has direct quotes from some of Jesus' sermons. And so that leaves, you know, at one point, I was just listening to the song, like waiting for him to drop the name Bodai or Solar Babies in there because it's, you know, it's the theme. But that leads me to wonder, is Bodhi Jesus? I mean, is Swayze Jesus? Like, there's so many questions. That kind of cracked me up, to be honest. You're yeah. watching this really, really dumb, goofy movie that doesn't really have as many religious metaphors as you would think it would have, at least not on purpose. And then Smokey Robinson comes on, and he's like, he'll walk with you through the river Jordan. You know, you're like, wait, what? Right, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> what? <laughs> he and his 12 disciples... In the Gospel of John, you're like, what is this? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Smokey just had like a track laying around. They're like, hey, man, we need a theme. He's like, oh, yeah, you can have this. And they're like, that'll work. <laughs> and then they stuck it in the credit. We'll take it. For very as little money as possible. <laughs> he doesn't even reference Terminac one time in this song. <laughs> He's dead to you now. He is. Oh, man. What a weird, crazy movie. I'm kind of glad <laughs> that I watched it, I guess. What would you say is your overall score for this? I can't give this a score. <laughs> I give Terminac and Jason Patrick and Jamie Gerst's hair a 10. I'm not saying Terminac has hair. I just give Terminac a 10 right. and their hair a 10. 
And that's it. I don't think I can actually score the movie. What if you put Jason Patrick's chest hair on Terminac and Jamie Gertz's head hair on the top of Terminac? And then you had some sort of weird, like, I don't know, Johnny Five Terminac. I would pay good money to see a manscaping scene with Terminac. That's all I'll say. Where he's shaving Jason Patrick's chest? <laughs> no, no. He See, in this, he grows body hair. He's the same Terminac from the film. He's made of metal, but he mysteriously grows human body hair and shaves it himself. I oh. watched two hours of that. Okay. I'm, right now, actually. I'm thinking Terminac's got to have like some sort of uh, razor, razor or some sort of equipment, you know, out of all those little appendages they showed him having. Like he, there's definitely got to be a deleted scene where he is shaving Jason Patrick's chest because that's probably the only way to explain it. We were wondering why that lady was so horny. I think it's just because she spends all day with Terminac. Who who isn't gonna go home a little revved up after that? Whoa, yeah. Some talk about some other attachments. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, that's right. What about you? What's your score rating? Oh um, yeah, I'm with you. I can't rate this movie. It's uh it's it's a unique piece of trash for sure. And it's definitely product of the eighties, but man, I I would be hard pressed to rate it. I I don't know, two two out of five. I don't know. Uh, it's it's just such a weird piece of trash. <laughs> it's not great by any means, but it was definitely entertaining to to watch and to laugh at, and uh, just think, how did they actually make this movie? This is so insane. So it's like a muddy puddle in the desert that a lots of children have stepped in. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, you're gonna drink it anyway. No matter how diseased it is, you're in the desert and you're thirsty. Give me some solar babies. Yes, the puddle that they all jump in and play in in slow motion at the end, that's definitely like the metaphor for this movie. Lots of resources, lots and lots of money wasted on this movie. I don't know if I'd say wasted, but definitely spent extravagantly to make something that's just not very good. Because obviously... Like we said, big budget. The sets are pretty impressive for this. You know, they're it's all shot on location in Spain. But then you go back to the script. You know, everything, you know, movies. I don't know if Hollywood's figured it out yet, but you got to have a good script no matter how much money you're going to throw into something. Because like we said, this is basically just every cliche from every type of 80s movie thrown into this movie. Because like we said, you've got like the alien friend cliches. You've got the dystopian future cliches completely ripped off from all the Mad Max movies. And just, you know, the roller skating, just everything. It's like you you just kind of crumbled up the 80s and you threw it in the trash and then you unwrinkled the paper and then you took a dump on it and you'd have this movie. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And I completely forgot what I was going to say. Do you have any uh, recommendations after watching this movie? Yes. So we mentioned Adrian Pazdar. He plays Darstar, uh, or Creepy Hawkeye, as I referred to him. But he reminded me of another vampire movie from the next year in 87, along with The Lost Boys. You had Near Dark which was uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow. And you've got Adrian Pazdar as uh, the lead. And you've got a team of vampires that he meets. And then 
they turn him into a vampire and his his whole struggle with fighting that and becoming a vampire and there's you know some uh, another like love interest there between him and a girl and you've got crazy bill paxton as this crazy vampire and uh it's just really wicked it's really kind of dirty and uh awesomely shot by um Catherine bigelow and team so if you haven't seen near dark i would definitely recommend it would would go nicely with uh, a double feature with the lost boys you know just watch solar babies near dark and lost boys and there you go you got the whole package you got adrian pazdar jason patrick and jamie gertz in all three movies it's a win-win-win situation the only thing that's missing is terminac <laughs> that's right no terminac in any of the other ones just uh go watch some terminator for the bigelow connection with uh james cameron and there you go you got like a quadruple feature yeah that'll pair perfectly with a movie called solar babies that's right well i'm gonna go in a completely different direction here i'm gonna say watch 2002's rabbit proof fence this mm. is a movie directed by philip noise noise i feel like we've talked about him before maybe we'll get to that in a minute but this is actually a really serious film it's about two aboriginal girls who are on the run it's based on a true story loosely based in australia and it's just a really moving film but it takes place in this kind of desert landscape except this time it's real and it's about two real people whose lives were at great risk and peril and it's just a really stirring film I would recommend that instead of solar babies. <laughs> what you're calling, you're not saying solar babies is stirring at all? I was stirred somewhere. <laughs> Terminac stirred you. Oh, yeah. Well, I have not seen Rabbit Proof Friends. I'll have to check that out. That's a great recommendation. Have you seen uh, Near Dark? I have not. Oh, okay. So we both have some homework to do then. Yeah. Hey, you know, Philip Noyce directed another movie called Patriot Games based on a Tom Clancy novel. Why does that sound so familiar to me? Yeah, was that from the 90s? Maybe so. We, we only talk about the 80s, Doug. Like, why are you talking about a 90s movie? Well, I don't know. I feel like if you want to hear more of Doug and Jamie, maybe you should listen to the show called Film Shake. In fact, I'd say as soon as you're done with this, you were thinking, Doug and Jamie sounded weird here, and I hate them now. Don't hate them. Just go listen to the Film Shake episode released on April 1st because you might find them there and you might get your Doug and Jamie fix that you didn't just find. You know, you might be about to jerk your car into an embankment because where Doug and Jamie just went in this episode of Good Times Great Movies is a place you don't want to follow. Well, you know what? Instead of jerking the wheel, get on your phone right now when you're at a stoplight and look up. Film Shake, the 90s movies podcast, and maybe, just maybe, Doug and Jamie, the Doug and Jamie that you like, will be there. Yes, they will be covering Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. We know how much Doug and Jamie love Sylvester Stallone, so they have an opportunity to cover him in the 90s there. And they're also covering the Punishment movie for Film Shake, Spice World from 1997. So thank you, Doug and Jamie, for taking the bullet on those two. And we talked about earlier at the top of this show about the babies that they talked about way back on Road Warrior, the babies that would take over their their show in the future. Well, you know what? Another self-fulfilling prophecy. We are those babies. We are the solar babies, Nick. I mean, we've taken over Good Times Great Movies, and uh, we've become those babies. We've just been nurtured and, and pruned for this very moment our whole lives, I think. 
We are the Solar Babies. If not for idiotic 80s movies like Solar Babies, we wouldn't be able to cover idiotic 90s movies like Barbed Wire. That's true. I don't think the 90s movies would exist without the 80s coming before. So we do have to give a a great big thanks to Doug and Jamie for their work on this show and inspiring us really to do our 90s theme show and just the 80s paving the way for all the ridiculousness that we get into for the 90s. So, yes, uh, if you haven't figured it out, if we haven't spelled it out enough, we are Jordan and Nick from the Film Shake podcast, the 90s movies podcast. Come check us out and listen to some ridiculous episodes about 90s movies. If you've enjoyed the ridiculousness that we've hinted at here, we have more for you there. So, Yes, if you somehow made it this far into this episode, you must like the sound of our voices, so come check us out. And you should definitely check out the next episode of this actual show that you're listening to, Good Times, Great Movies. Doug and Jamie are going to be back in the next episode covering Johnny Dangerously. That is a request by their patron, Michelle. It's a 1984 American crime comedy film starring Michael Keaton and Joe Piscopo. Man, I miss Joe Piscopo. I I don't really miss him. But it is directed by Amy Heckerling, who did Clueless in the 90s, our decade. So I think I'm going to check this episode out to hear what she was up to in the 80s. No, I know I will check out this episode because Good Times Great Movies is a great show. Thank you guys for listening. Keep tuning in for Good Times Great Movies. That's right. Good Times Great Movies. That's the show you're currently listening to. Because I know what you wanted to just say was, thanks for listening to Film Shake. And now it's going to say, take it. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that. I'm not say This is the right time. Like we do. And he's smart, too.